This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. All right, I confess, I am smitten by my little dog, Zeke. I was the guy, I was the dad that said, no, I don't want the dog. And my wife and my kids prevailed and we got the dog. And now I am the whipped puppy when it comes to my dog. Uh, Hopefully you've seen the picture that's just shown up. He's a cute guy, isn't he? I love Zeke. One of the things that I began uh, saying about Zeke, I began calling him Little Lord Fultonroy. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, Little Lord Fultonroy. It's a term to describe a child who's a little precocious, uh, a little bit of an attitude, a child that demands to be served, a child that demands nothing but the best for themselves, uh, a little spoiled. It comes from a book that was written in 1886 by a man, I get his name here, a man whose name was, get this name, little old Fondroy born by Hodgson Burnett, well, Francis Hodgson Burnett. And it's a story about a boy who actually is a, a sweet boy, a boy born in New York City to poverty, a boy that um, is a little precocious, but really has a sweet nature and uh, discovers that he is actually the heir of a great estate back in England. He is the little Lord Fultonroy. 1980, Ricky Schroeder, and I don't know if many of you remember Ricky Schroeder. Ricky Schroeder played the part of little Lord Fultonroy in the movie. I think it was 1987 it was. But Ricky Schroeder was the same guy that played the part in a TV series that I think my wife used to love watching called Silver Spoons. Today we're going to be talking about a guy that I would say was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, Uh, someone of privilege, someone who considered himself a gift to the world. It's a man named Saul. We're first introduced to Saul in the Bible book of Acts. Saul came from the city of Tarsus. Tarsus was a wealthy and uh, flourishing city. It was a metropolis that was a, a major city in the Roman province of Sicilia. I think that's how you say it. Anyway, Tarsus was an uppity-up city, and Saul came from an uppity-up family. He was sent as a Jew to the best schools. In fact, he was sent to Jerusalem to study under a prominent rabbi. Saul was a Pharisee. He belonged to that sect, that party, that Jewish party uh, of individuals that we would call Bible-believing, conservative, patriotic, faithful people. The Pharisees were individuals that dedicated themselves to living God's word and making sure God's word was communicated to the Jews. And Saul was the best of the best. Saul was considered a rising star in Judaism. It's interesting that in a study of his name, we discover that Saul is a name that originates, of course, from the Hebrew. And from the Hebrew, it means prayed for or asked for. And so in many ways, you could say Saul lived out his name. He was a gift to the world. He was one whom everyone said, wow, this guy is an answer to prayer. He was the answer to prayer to Judaism. The best of the best, a shining star. Now, in the book of Acts, Acts is part two of the telling of the story of Jesus 
and the church that Jesus established by a doctor named Luke. Luke, the Gospel of Luke is part one of the story. Acts is part two. And in the book of Acts, we're first introduced to Saul at a time in which the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews situated in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin had to begin dealing with Christians. Jews who were now saying that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, had been crucified, but had risen from the dead. And now they were proclaiming a message that was going counter to Judaism. And so the Sanhedrin turned to their rising star. They turned to this, this zealous and, and gifted and, and really passionate young man for Judaism. They turned to him to be their hitman to be the one who would bring about persecution. And so the Sanhedrin authorized Saul to find Christians and to throw them into jail and to uh, persecute them. Acts tells us that Saul, after exercising persecution on the Christians in Jerusalem, discovered and heard that they were Christians in the city of Damascus. And so he says, hey, Sanhedrin, give me authorization to go to Damascus and to continue doing what I'm doing here in Jerusalem to persecute Christians. And so Acts says that Saul, on his way to Damascus, on the road with his companions, all of a sudden has an encounter. He has an encounter with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, a bright light, and Jesus speaks to him. And in that moment, Saul is smitten by grace. Saul comes to realize that in his desire to honor God, he in fact was going against the very Messiah that God had sent, the very promise to the scriptures that he had dedicated himself to. Saul was smitten by grace. And in that counter, what we discover is that Saul received God's blessing through Jesus. He received forgiveness of his sins and he received a life calling a new life trajectory, a new life purpose, that life purpose being to be the messenger for God, for Jesus, to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. Saul was blinded by the encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and he's led by his companions into the town of Damascus. There, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, sends a man named Ananias, who at first is reluctant to go to talk to Paul, who was Saul, sorry, Saul. He's reluctant to talk because he's heard about him and his reputation precedes him as a persecutor of Christians. But he goes to Saul in obedience to the spirit and he proclaims to Saul the good news, the message of Christ. He prays for him and his eyes are healed and he baptizes him in Christ and thus begins Saul's new identity. From that encounter, from being smitten by grace, Saul's life trajectory takes a radical turn. It takes a radical turn by which is captured in a name change. No longer will he be called Saul, but he'll have a new name, Paul. And we're introduced to that new name in the story of Acts when Saul is on his first missionary journey. First, first missionary journey where in Acts chapter 13, we're told, then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, then spoke to someone that was filled with demons. Now, I want you to notice this. The name change 
reflected a transformation that comes from a new identity. Saul, whose name meant prayed for, asked for, an answer to prayer from a Hebrew origin, all of a sudden Saul changes his name. He has a new identity, and that new identity is captured in the name Paul. Paul is a name that originates from the Latin. It's a non-Jewish name. It originates in Latin, and it means small or humble. And as I was doing my studies, this is something that just, just was really struck me, how amazing this story is. Because you have a man here who, as a Jew, was considered a gift, an answer to prayer, one who was filled with confidence in his standing before God because he performed all the rituals and all the, the requirements that the law and their traditions asked for. He required them to the best of the best. If anyone who could be confident in his standing before God based on his performance in his religion, it would have been Saul. Here was a man who could definitely say, I feel good about who I am before God based upon how I have followed God in terms of my religion. Saul was a man who could definitely say I'm an answer to prayer, but now after an interaction with Jesus, after an interaction with the resurrected Jesus, his name is changed. No longer is his name centered amongst the Jews as a Hebrew. No, his, centered, his name is centered around his new life calling to be a messenger, to be an apostle to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. Paul. Paul, not an answer to prayer. No, Paul, humble and small. Paul, who now understands that when he is weak, that is when Jesus is most strong in his life. You know, I think about the message of, of the story of Paul, and I'm reminded that we have so much from Paul in our Bibles. Most of the New Testament letters come from him as he writes to different churches, as he writes to churches that he's established. And so there's many places in which Paul opens up his heart and really lets us inside and lets us see what was going on. Because you have to wonder, how is it that a man who was so bent on destroying Christians, a man who was so confident in his standing before God based upon his religion, how is it that he had this radical turn where he went from Saul to Paul? How is it that he went from arrogance, you might say, to humility? How is it that he went from Lord Fultonroy to ordinary Joe as a Jesus follower? Well, Paul gives us insight in a number of places in Scripture. I want us to look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Here Paul pours out his heart to Christians in the church of Philippi. Here's, here's what he says, and, and tell me if you don't capture exactly how, what, what Paul says is the reason by which this transformation in his life occurred, how his life trajectory was radically changed, how he was able to live out his new purpose in Christ how he was smitten by grace. He says, but whatever were gains to me, whatever, whatever was, was considered a gain to me in my former life, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss. Everything that I, I stood on, everything that I considered important and, and meant uh, that I had a place before God and I could say I'm right with God. No, he says, everything I considered, uh, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, trash, refuse, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, righteousness of my own, righteous being right with God in life that comes, he says, from me, that comes from the law, he says, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Not just Jesus, but Jesus resurrected. The power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this, he says, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold for me. Brothers and sisters, he says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, when Jesus was on earth and he preached his message, the Jews whom he was sent to had an issue with what he said regarding the Messiah, even his closest followers. They had an issue with his message that said the Messiah has to go to the cross. In their minds, they could not fathom their Messiah, their political savior, dying a terrible death on a Roman cross. They could not fathom that this was the way in which God was going to save the world. But Jesus had to go to the cross. Jesus had to lay down his life so that that life could be a sacrifice to pay the cost that was due to all of us who are sinners, Jews first and non-Jews to follow. They had a hard time with the cross. And so Paul in many ways would write, the cross is an offense. It's an offense to the Jews because the notion of the Messiah suffering and dying for us was a problem to them. But we come to our time today and Christianity is spread around the world. And, and now I think we don't necessarily have so much of a problem with that idea. We don't have so much of a problem with the notion of Jesus dying for us. We don't have so much a problem with the cross in the sense that we don't, we don't have a problem with thinking that God would send his son to, to sacrifice himself for us. We don't have a problem thinking that a, a, a savior, God would love us so much to send his son to to pay the price for our sins. We, we, we don't have a problem with that by and large. What I think we have a problem with, what I think we, we struggle with, is the second part of the story. The reason why we're celebrating Easter. We have a problem with miracle. We have a problem with resurrection. With the fact that not only was it important that Jesus die on the cross to pay for our sins so that we might have a way to be made right with God, but that Jesus would rise from the dead. And in rising from the dead, it would mean that our faith was alive and active now. It would mean that there are implications to living for God in a new identity now by the power he gives to us. You see, our faith is based on the proclamation that Jesus is alive, even now. Even though the events of the cross 
happened some 2,000 years ago? If the resurrection is true, and I believe it is, and I know many of you do too. If the resurrection is true, if miracle happened in this way, the, the miracle of all miracles, resurrection happened. It means that what Jesus has to say, what Jesus is doing is present. It's present continuous. It's something that is happening now for us. And that Jesus is not only our forgiver, he's not only the means by which we are made right with God in terms of our sins. It also means that Jesus is our leader. He's the one in which we give our lives to daily, living out a new identity and a new way uh, to operate in our day-to-day. -day. He is our leader, and he is moving in our lives by the power that he gives through his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is the means by which the resurrection power of Jesus comes into our life. Jesus is alive now. I love the words of Paul again in Ephesians when he talks about this. Um, in Paul, what we discover is that grace is not only forgiveness, but grace is also being obedient to what God has called us to. Isn't it amazing that, that God took Paul with all his education, with all his passion to serve, with his, his, his zeal, his, 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 his just focus on doing what God wanted him to do. He took that, even though it was misdirected, and he redirected it to a mission. No longer was he going to be a servant primarily focused on Judaism. Now he would be the one who would take the message to the non-Jews for the Messiah that came through the Jews. And so in many ways, what we see in Paul is that following the resurrected Jesus sets our life right. Following the Jesus that's alive sets our life right today, now. The, the power and miracle of, of resurrection is, is manifest in our lives in our day-to-day. -day. Paul, writing to the Philippians, Philippian Christians, talks about how this works in terms of something that I think we're all familiar with. He talks about it in terms of changing clothes, changing from old clothes and putting on brand new clothes, changing from an old name to living out a new name. Here, here's what he says in, in Philippians chapter, oh, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter four, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Living in our new identity is like taking off the old and putting on the new. And that is made possible because we serve a resurrected Jesus, a God who is alive and now and is active. I remember when I was baptized. Baptism means to dip underwater. And so I was baptized at 12 years old in a swimming pool in Zimbabwe, Africa. I was baptized with my good friend, Carl Duplessis. And I still remember that day. And what happened in that event, in the standing there in the water and then going under and coming back, what happened in that event is really a picture, a 
a capturing of the good news message of Jesus. There I stood in the water, my old self. And I stood there saying, I believe that Jesus is the, the Christ, the Messiah. He is the one who, who died for my sins and rose again from the dead. He is the one that will provide the answer to the questions that I have for life. He is the one in which I can be right with God through faith and live my life right with God by the power of the resurrection through the Spirit. There I was standing in the water there, my old self saying, yes, I believe. And then I was immersed. I was taken under the water. I was dunked, if you'd like, and I was put into the grave of the water underneath. I, was, I died to my old self, and I came back up a new person. I came back born again. I came back with the promise of forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit in my life. And in all of that, we have captured the message that we find in scriptures regarding what Easter is all about, that we find salvation, we find a new birth, we find life in Jesus. And then something happened. I, I remembered in pre preparing for this message, my friend and I, Carl, we were soaking wet. And so what did we do? We grabbed our towels, our moms were all crying and people around were, were, were singing the song and it was kind of a neat situation where everyone was touched by the moment. But we uh, ran like two little boys, 12 year old boys. We ran as fast as we could back to the change room. And I was running with my friend Carl. And I'm like, do you feel different? Do you feel different? Cause I, you know, that's what I thought. Well, we ran to do what? Well, we ran to change our clothes to take off the, old, the wet clothes and put on new dry clothes. And in thinking about that and remembering that, I thought, you know what? That in of itself is also a picture of the life we're called to live. Put, taking off the old and putting on the new is, is a matter of day-to-day -day commitment. It's a matter of remembering like soul that I once was identified by this name and by these characteristics that we're not in line with, with God. And in now, through God's grace, smitten by grace, receiving forgiveness, I'm given a new identity. I'm given a new name, a new name that's given to me by God that captures my new life purpose to serve him in the unique way that God has called me by his spirit to serve him. Our message to you is this. Do you want a new identity? Do you want to receive your God name? Well, that God name comes by believing in Jesus, by receiving the power of Jesus resurrected from the dead. When, when you follow the resurrected Jesus, it sets your life right. And so if that's what you want, I would like for you to let us know. If you have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you have not been baptized in the way I described, the, the way that baptism is all about by immersion, let us know. Post a comment. Send us an email. Give us a phone call at the office. We're still receiving phone calls, even though uh, we may not be sitting in the office at that moment, but our phone calls will still get to us. And let us know. And what we will do, we will figure out how to facilitate your baptism. We will help you figure out in your home how to receive the blessing to die in the old self and come back up in the new self so that you might live by your new name. Let us know. We'll make it happen.
If you have made that commitment and you're celebrating Easter, I want you to think with us because of, of your faith. I want you to think back to your baptism. I want you to think back to the moment in which you were buried and brought back to life. And I want you to remember that after you did that, you had to change your clothes. And in changing your clothes, I want you to remember that that is a reminder that our life commitment is one of following the resurrected Jesus where we live by our new name. And to encourage you to commit to that, as Paul says, uh, make the commitment to put off the old and live by the new. Make the commitment to live out God's grace for your life in this new identity, this new name. To live by your commitment to live by the power of the resurrection that is present for you now, today, through the presence of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, who dwells in our lives and walks with us as we live for Him. I'm going to pray a blessing, and then we're going to sing our hearts out in celebration of the resurrected Jesus. Pray with me. Lord, we just thank you for this time we can share. And I believe that Jesus is the, is the Christ. He, he died on the cross. He was buried and three days later came back to life. And, and in my life, Lord, I, I testify, I share right now that I've seen resurrection power transform my life and change my life trajectory to, to where I am now. And it's an honor and a privilege to live by that by that truth, to know that Jesus isn't just a good guy who died for everybody and that was then and has no effect on me now. No, Jesus is alive and well and working through his church. And even though that we are separated, can't gather together in, in a large crowd of Easter, we're not separated because of that truth, because we are bound by the living power of Jesus. Lord, for those that are listening, some who maybe have not made that commitment, I pray you speak to them and that you speak to them by your living spirit, that they make a, make a commitment to believe that Jesus is Lord and not only believe that he died, but most importantly, believe in the power of miracle, the power of resurrection, the hope that comes, that, that we have a living power in us and we look forward to the day that even though we might die in our bodies, we will be raised again to new life, to live our life with you. I pray that uh, you speak to them and, and give them the courage to reach out to us so that we might help them facilitate a baptism in their house or, or however we can work it out. Lord, I pray that you would help every one of us who are seeking to live out uh, in these strange days your calling for our life, that you would make us aware of your promptings by your spirit, that we might live our lives by the power of the resurrected Jesus. We thank you. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.